Welcome to Are You Quizzing Me? I'm Vinit Nair with my co-host Aditya Kashyap. This is a quizzing trivia podcast show. Join us as we dive deep into history, science, sport, pop culture and so much more. Let's get quizzing. And we're back for episode number 39 of your favorite quizzing podcast show. Are you quizzing me? Let's start off today's episode with an audience question. The answer for which I will reveal at the end of the episode. Henry Irving was the first actor to be awarded a knighthood. His troupe performed season after season at the Lyceum Theatre, establishing himself and his company as representative of English classical theatre. His manager, whose main claim to fame during his lifetime was being Henry Irving's manager, is extremely famous today. He was a writer, and in one of his works, the titular character was partly based on the actor. Who was the manager, and which character did he base off Henry Irving? Let me repeat the question. Henry Irving was one of the first act- was the first actor to be awarded knighthood. His manager, whose main claim to fame during his lifetime was being Henry Irving's manager, is extremely famous today. His manager was a writer, and in one of his novels, the titular character was partly based on the actor. Who was this manager, and which character did he base off Henry Irving? Wait till the end of the episode to let you hear the answer to this audience question. And in the meantime, let's start off today's proceedings with the question that Aditya had asked last week. So Aditya, what was the question? I had asked in our previous episode about Gen Z parlance and Gen Z quirks. I had asked why if you ever send a message to a person from Gen Z and it was in all uppercase letters, would that be considered not cool? And uh, do you know, Vineet, what does it mean when they say no cap? N- not particularly. I'm, saying, I'm guessing no capital letters. <laughs> I have no clue. No, no cap basically means no lie or they're not kidding or they're not lying. So okay. if I told you, Vineet, that I love you, no cap, it means that I truly, absolutely, unequivocally love you. Right? Okay. So, if you did send a message with all uppercase letters, your message is all caps, which is basically all lies. And hence, that would not be okay. And <laughs> no Gen Z person would stand by such such lying. <laughs> uh, that weirdly actually makes a little bit of sense. I'm telling you, I'm basically Gen Z at heart, Vineet. I, I, I want to be yes, accepted. I, can I want to see be that. For, the, for, for those people, obviously, uh, for those listening on our podcast, you can't see that this extremely Gen Z person is wearing a T-shirt with the word pivot written on it. Uh, if you don't know what that means, and when I say pivot, if you don't get it, it means that you're definitely Gen Z. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. So, who is starting us off today, Vineet? I'll do the honors for today. Okay, so the first question for today is as follows. For a very short period of time, specifically just a few months of the year 1960, Gillettes were a unit of measurement. Gillette as in, you know, the razor blade company, Gillette. It was, however, soon replaced with a more precise unit. Of what were Gillettes a unit? Was it only in a, for a brief while that it was used? Yes, it was for a very brief while. What era was this or what years were this? This was 1960. Does it have to do anything with shaving? No, absolutely nothing to do with shaving. Oh, very interesting. 
Oh wow, that's 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 a tough one. I can't make any educated guess here. Also, trying to think of 1960s. I'm trying to. Let me put it this way. Uh, in those days, Gillette was known uh, for their razor blades. You know the old safety razor blades that uh, you know. I think my dad used to use for shaving. Those kind yes. of razors, not the fancy multi-bladed package things that come today. You know the small packets of razor blades. So that is what you should be thinking of, and it was used as a unit. Okay, then maybe Gillette because they were razor blades. I'm gonna say thickness, and because it's the 60s, maybe something to do with the early computing, like the thickness of a wire or something. No, not no 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 no. It's not that. We're not thinking of thickness and it's not got to do with computing. I'll give you a clue. Uh, you definitely know what this is uh, uh, because you have an engineering background. I would be very surprised if you've never even played with one. Engineering background, played with one, does it have to do? All I can think of are those circuit boards that we used to get, that we used to mess around with and had to create things out of is that even remotely close to the answer no 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 nothing to do with that nothing to do with that nothing to do with that no i'm um okay i'm very lost right now okay let me give you a name maybe that'll help Uh, the person who used this as uh the unit at least at the beginning theodore mayman (laughs) you say it like i should know who this person is but i have no idea who this human being is so I'm nowhere oh, closer oh, okay, to getting okay. the answer. No, I, I, I'm, because I thought I because he's the father of something. Uh, you know, he's quite important because his invention practically is seen everywhere. It's in all kinds of industries, manufacturing. I wouldn't be surprised even if there are a few of those in your home right now for different uses. I am completely stumped. I have no idea. Okay, so I, I I've run out of clues to give you. Okay, the uh, in 1960, for a very short period of time, Theodore Maiman defined the strength of a laser beam by the number of Gillette razor blades it could cut through. Oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, so when uh, lasers, lasers were first invented, the power of the first laser was measured in Gillettes. And then later they were like, okay, this is too arbitrary, so let's find a better unit. And uh, they went into the established units of Watt and Joule and whatnot. So yeah, so Gillettes were once a unit. That's pretty cool. All right, that was a pretty great start, Navinit. I love that little trivia. And as classic segues on Are You Quizzing Me Go, I'm going to make one of those now. Since you spoke about pioneering efforts in technology, my next question has to do mm-hmm. with exactly that. These are going to be the first words that were spoken on or used in different technologies over the years. And I'm going to tell you what those words were. Tell me which technology it was. Oh, that's fun. This is fun. Okay. Hit me, hit me. Okay. So the first one I'm going to do is, Joel, this is Marty. And then there is one more sentence, but I won't give you that sentence yet. Joel, this is Marty. And this was used... So obviously these are audio mediums, right? Because you're saying words. Audio or audio-visual mediums. Yes. Uh, so I'm going to guess this is a television broadcast. No, I'll give you when this was made. 3rd April, 1973. From a New York pavement. From a New York pavement, a pavement in New York. 
is it the first no the mobile phones came in the 80s right car phones and mobile phones came in the 80s right or was it prior to that i i i'm not sure but yeah you're you're close enough so you you basically got it it is a okay oh. first call from a truly portable mobile phone oh nice this was in the, okay, we had portable mobile phones in the 70s 1973 wow i always thought that you know we had car phones yeah no this is actually the first time ever that it happened but uh, i'm sure it took a very long time to for it to become mainstream so that's probably why we remember it as being later so i'll tell you about it actually a little bit uh this was a 45 year old research director who was leading a team at motorola and he made the historic call using a prototype and the person he called it was joel joel enger who was his counterpart at at&t <laughs> and uh, it was apparently a very short exchange because the whole exchange goes joel this is marty I'm calling you from a cell phone, a real handheld portable cell phone. That's what he said, and apparently there was silence at the other end. Uh, Martin Cooper, <laughs> Marty, suspects that Joel was grinding his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a nice one. That's a nice one. So that is the first ever portable phone call. Okay, let's do a few more of these because I have a bunch of these. Wow, okay. What hath God wrought? Okay, given the language and you said is this a radio transmission? No. This is May 24th, 1844. Baltimore. 18 1844 was it the telegram? Close enough, yes. America's first telegraph message was transmitted by Samuel Morse. of the morse code Samuel fame morse. okay uh-huh from the supreme court room in the capital to his assistant alfred whale in baltimore on may 24th 1844 and the message read what hath god wrought that seems a very serious message for something like it's it's just a telegraph i mean seriously why was he that uh, what hath god wrought i would actually i would expect something like that to come out of oppenheimer you know after <laughs> seeing a nuclear blast or something but this seems a little samuel mosman drama queen <laughs> indeed indeed okay the next one this one should be easy maybe you've heard of this one mr watson come here i want to see you oh that would be alexander graham bell that is alexander graham bell march 10th 1876 it was a telephone call that graham bell made to his assistant thomas watson mr watson come here i want to see you okay nice don't be scared it is me love you and miss you don't be scared it's me love you and miss you yes is this something from space no i mean that would be obviously not because then there'll be like mission control yes with a lot of static so that's not that yeah and there would be at least one houston or in there or maybe ground control to major tom but no this is <laughs> but okay just Okay, just hit me again with the what? What does it say again? Don't be scared. It is me. Love you and miss you. Is it like a greeting card? But then why would somebody be afraid of a greeting card? Why would somebody be scared? It was the first message on a Uja board. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Though it really sounds like it should be one. 
Oh yeah, really? It 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 would. I'm that. Speaking <laughs> from the <laughs> beyond. No, it is it is not <laughs> from the beyond. To beyond the veil. <laughs> no, this okay. is actually a lot more fun and very sweet. Actually, it is the first documented AOL instant message, and it was sent by the future AOL oh. vice chairman Ted Leonis on January six, nineteen ninety-three, to his wife. And was there any particular reason why Mr. Leonis was Mrs. Leonis would be scared? I am not sure why she'd be scared, but I guess it was the first time that somebody would be sending a message, or you don't know who it is exactly that is sending. A or, message. or they, or she might have just been petrified by the AOL messenger sound. Oh, that could be very much the case here. <laughs> but uh, her response was sweet as well because <laughs> she said, "Wow, this is so cool." Yeah, a little underwhelming. The guy pr- pr- practically spends his entire life uh, developing an instant messaging service, and her response is, "Yeah, that's cool." <laughs> when are you coming back? <laughs> Pick up some milk and eggs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stop by the grocery on your way home. We need eggs. <laughs> All right. Uh, Merry Christmas. I'm going to go with television broadcast this time because it's Christmas. That's a good guess, but no. In this case, it is the first ever SMS. Oh, the first ever short message. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. It was, Merry but it was Christmas. sent from a computer to a cell phone. And it was sent okay. to Richard Jarvis, who was at a Christmas party near Vodafone headquarters in England in December 1992. The first commercial text message was sent from Los Angeles hmm. by Brennan Hayden, at the time an engineer for the Irish wireless company Aldiskan in June 1993. Hmm. And that message was burp. Literally burp. <laughs> Oh, this one is a classic, uh, but you will need to know the translation of it to guess it. I'm going to tell you what the original is, okay. and I don't know. I'm probably just mispronouncing the hell out of it, but I'm going to try it anyways. Tere kasa kulet mind. This is an Estonian. In April 2003. In Estonian, we've already covered instant messaging. We've covered SMSs. Is this the first multimedia message? But no. then that would be a picture or a piece of music, right? No, it's too old for what? Wait, is it something on the first social media website or something? Nope. I'll tell you what the translation is, which is probably going to help you a little bit. Hello, can you hear me? Uh, the first VoIP call. Close enough. It is the first Skype call. It's the first ever Skype call. Oh, Skype call. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> first ever <laughs> sentence spoken on Skype. Why Estonian? Was... I thought Skype. Was in Estonian by an unknown member of the original development team, <laughs> so it's his name is not oh, even okay. known to history anymore. But he's uh, he's he unknown said, member. He said what uh, basically every Skype call starts with. Hello, can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> hey, it's it's the way our, our every every single one of our podcasts also starts. That we don't record it and uh, much, put it up every time we start. He's like, "Hello, can you hear me? I can see you. Can you hear me?" Yeah. <laughs> And it goes on for quite a while. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do two more. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. Yet. Uh, the iPhone. No. This is in 1927. 1927. I need a clue if you are uh, up to giving one. This is the first ever word spoken. The first ever sentence spoken. In a full-length talkie, in 1927, the movie was called oh, like The Jazz Talkie. Singer. 
no no the talkies oh, talkies okay a, a talk a, okay motion picture okay this is talking okay. so oh, this was the first ever from a okay wow i'm guessing that must have been pretty uh, you know impactful for the audience to hear somebody speak until then they all all they heard were orchestra music which was played live whenever there was a silent movie going on exactly and i love the fact that the first thing that was said was wait a minute wait a minute you ain't heard nothing yet very meta very meta very meta it is from the 1927 movie the jazz singer and apparently the line was unscripted improv improv it is yes okay the last one i'm going to do is i'm going to ask you in fact to tell me what do you think the first ever email was <laughs> the first ever email uh email was i think it was done for the the military right it was by this company called bbn technologies it was by this guy called ray tomlinson for the arpanet okay ah which was a, which was a defense network you're right yeah they were literally side by side but they were connected only through the arpanet and that was the first ever okay. message sent what do you think the message was see in situations like this I always wish i could come up with a very clever answer but for some reason nothing ever comes to me and i all i can think of the most banal things i don't know hi did you get this testing testing or or maybe hey do you want to grow your penis by 6 inches um <laughs> <laughs> See that's the kind of thing I wish I could come up with you know on the spot it never <laughs> happens it happens like 10 minutes later after we recorded the episode and I'm like oh I could have said something clever there but no nothing but that's a pretty good one <laughs> no but that's not the actual no, answer nothing yeah uh, I would say obviously not <laughs> I would say look down at your keyboard oh is it qwerty yeah very close yes it is qwerty uiop then that first row ah okay yeah, that's nice, the first nice. ever email very unimaginative but still would it have killed him to say hi hello world or something <laughs> hello world would have been great and uh, the first spam message was sent in 1978 to 400 users <laughs> by this gentleman <laughs> called gary and he was advertising a new line of microcomputers in that so it wasn't too long after <laughs> email was invented that spam also started yeah and uh, that's all my questions for the pioneering works in all of these different fields solid set man solid set uh let me move on to something completely unrelated so i have a format which i've used in a quiz uh, recently uh, it's nothing fancy it's a kind of stepladder question in which i ask uh, i give you clues regarding a person the uh, a very obscure clue first which it goes for more points and then a slightly less obscure and the final clue being something that everybody has heard of right so i have a few questions of that particular format but it's become between us so there's no points it's just you know can you get the answer right it's all is who am i so it's from a first person perspective so you have to guess who this person is aside from being one of the giants of literature i am the 26th most translated author in the world i composed over 100 musical pieces I played the piano, the penny whistle and the boom flageolet and wrote over wrote or arranged music for these and other instruments. Who am I? Uh, is it uh, some actually no go ahead give me the next clue. Okay. Though born in Scotland, I died at the young age of 
and was buried on top of Mount Weya in Samoa, where I had spent the last years of my life. Who am I? Oh, at the age of 44, you said? Yes. But you didn't mention which year, right? No. Beethoven died pretty young. Mozart definitely died pretty young. The first clue, I would repeat the first clue again. Aside from being one of the giants of literature, I am the 26th most translated author in the world. I composed over 100 musical pieces. Was born in Scotland, died at the young age of 44, buried on top of Mount Weya in Samoa, where I had spent the last years of my life. Born in Scotland, literature, music, died relatively young, buried in Samoa. I want, I know Ernest Hemingway was. No, it's not Hemingway. Hemingway also didn't compose any music, so that doesn't make any sense. I don't think I have any other educated guesses to make right now. So go ahead, give me another clue. Okay, clue number three. I famously gifted my birthday to a friend's daughter. Gifted my birthday to a friend's daughter. Yes. It's my favorite fact about this person. That is lovely. But also doesn't help me at all. Oh, Scotland. Is it by any chance? uh, But literature, huh? This is getting me all confused. I was going to say, is it by any chance Lenin? But that doesn't make sense. No, not Lenin. Gifted my birthday to a friend's daughter. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds really cute. Oh, okay, you know what? Uh, are there any more clues or should I should I ask for There is clues? one last clue. You can still try. Okay. I mean, like, obviously, this is between us. No, no negative points. Yeah. If you were in one of my quizzes, yes, obviously, you would get penalized for a wrong answer. But no, not between us. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I don't have any guesses for now. So I'll take the last clue as well. The last clue is this. I am the author of Kidnapped, The Black Arrow, Catriona, a Child's Garden of Verses, Treasure Island. Okay. R.L. Stevenson? Yes, it is Robert Louis Stevenson. He was a composer? Yes, he was. <laughs> this is the reaction I get from most people. He had, There is a website where you can get the sheet music of all his compositions. More than a hundred of them. Okay. Wow. Yes, wow. and obviously he, you know, he's written a lot about the Pacific. You know, his lit- his works include a lot of things about the South Seas. And while he was living in the South Seas, Stevenson discovered that the twelve-year-old daughter of Henry Clay Ide, the U.S. Commissioner to Samoa, had her birthday on Christmas Day, and she obviously disliked this because everybody else got two set of gifts: one for Christmas, one for their birthday. She unfortunately because her birthday was on Christmas, got only one set of gifts. Stevenson nobly signed away all rights to his birthday to the girl. And this is one of my favorite uh, letters by anybody ever. So in a letter in 1891, he makes it clear as as follows. I have transferred and do hereby transfer to to the said AHID all and whole of my rights and privileges in the 13th day of November, Formerly my birthday, now hereby and henceforth the birthday of said AHI to have, hold, exercise and enjoy in the same in the customary manner by the sporting of fine raiment, eating of rich meats and the receipt of gifts, compliments and copies of verse according to the manner of our ancestors. This man could write. That is really cute. That is really, really cute. So that was uh, Stevenson. I'll just give you one more question from that set. Uh, this is, I think, uh, 
a lot of very specific piece of trivia about this particular person. So the first uh, clue is, while in exile, I had an affair with Frida Kahlo. Who am I? I'm pretty sure I know this answer, but okay, I can't recall right now. Okay. A line from a note to my wife was the basis for the title of Roberto Benigni's multiple Academy Award winning film. Roberto Benigni's uh, Life is Beautiful. Yes. So that came from a note this person had written to his wife. The inspiration for the title of the movie had come uh, from a note that this person had written. No, that doesn't help me. Okay. Clue number three. I was assassinated in Mexico by an ice pick wielding assassin. (laughs) I love this. Uh, But again, no, I'm still a bit lost. No idea. And the last clue. I founded the Red Army. The Red Army? Yes, which would be the army of the Soviet Union. I have no idea who founded the Red Army. Wow. Not Lenin, right? No, not Lenin. He was a contemporary of uh, Lenin and Stalin. Rasputin? He was exiled. No, no, no. No, no this was Leon Trotsky. Trotsky makes a lot more sense. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. So he had an affair with Frida Kahlo. He, mm. uh, when he was in Mexico in exile, uh, knowing that he was about to be killed by uh, Joseph Stalin's assassins, he saw his wife in the garden and wrote, in spite of everything, life is beautiful. And Roberto Benini says that the title for his movie came from that quote. Once you say it all together, I'm like, yes, I've heard all these tidbits of information in different places. <laughs> but it's, it's yes, funny yes. how you forget it. No, but great. That's a wonderful uh, question. Okay. One last from my set. The last one for this, but today at least I'll uh, dig this up some other time, the same format. So the first clue is my first scientific achievements and publications were dealing with geology. I set out on a famous voyage in order to gather geological evidence for the biblical flood. Who am I? Geological evidence for the biblical flood. I don't think it is Cook, right? No, not James Cook. No. No, I don't know then. I'll take another clue. Okay, I'll go to clue number two. I share the same birthday as Abraham Lincoln. And like him, I was a firm abolitionist. And slavery was one of the things that played a role in my conversion from Christianity to agnosticism. Who am I? Abolitionist? uh, Not Hamilton, I'm guessing. Interesting. So this is somebody after Lincoln. Or at least a contemporary of Lincoln. Or roughly at the same time. No idea, no. Okay, clue number three. In 2008, I received an apology from the Church of England 125 years after my death for their treatment of my work and I. The Vatican, however, said that my life's work was compatible with the Bible and so no apology would be our forthcoming. The Church of England apologized, but the Vatican refused. Okay, no, I'm no clue, no clue. And this last clue should give it away. I did not coin the phrase survival of the fittest. Wait, I was going to say Darwin to begin with, but Darwin was going to be my absolute first guess when you said uh, the biblical floods thing. But I did, okay. All right. Well, interesting. interesting. It is Darwin. It is Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin. So Darwin was originally a geologist and the entire uh, reason for him being on the Beagle and setting out on that journey towards the Pacific was for him to find evidence of the biblical flood. Fun. 
Yeah, I should have trusted my gut on this one. Yeah. Darwin is a fantastic <laughs> answer for this. Yes, Thanks. it's Darwin. Yes, yes. And your turn. Hit me with a question here. The Pulitzers are obviously a very famous set of awards that are given every year by Columbia University for achievements in newspaper, magazine, online journalism, literature, and musical composition. By the way, in case you can't tell or the listeners can't tell, I do have a stuffed nose. So please excuse my <laughs> pronunciation and my enunciation in this episode. In any case, so the Pulitzers are these awards that are given out every year. In 2020, a new category was added. 2020 was the first year that that particular category was awarded. It was announced in December 2019. What category was added to the Pulitzers? Is this something to do with online blogging or vlogging? Something to do with that? No. Does it have anything to do with the internet? Or is it something completely different? You could say it has to do with the internet, yes. Okay. It's not. Please tell me there's no Pulitzer for TikTokers, right? <laughs> not yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hmm. Nope, I'm going to need some kind of clue here. Okay, let me tell you the name of the winners in the last... Now that there have been four winners, I'll tell you the names of those winners. First one was Molly O'Toole of the LA Times. And Emily Green was a freelancer for Vice News and for others. And the award was specifically for the piece called The Out Crowd that eliminated the personal impact of the Trump administration's remain in Mexico policy. Okay, so this was the first one. In 2021, it was given to Lisa Hagen and Chris Haxel for no compromise. This was about the no-compromise gun rights activists that eliminated the profound differences and deepening schism between American conservatives. The 2022 award was for a brutally honest and immersive profile of a man re-entering society after serving more than 30 years in prison. And 2023 was an investigation that Connie Walker conducted into her father's troubled past and that revealed a larger story of abuse of hundreds of indigenous children at an Indian residential school in Canada. So is this a, an award for social activism? No. Is it like for citizen journalists, uh, people who are not professionals, but who make like YouTube videos of their own? No. Okay, I'm going to give you one last clue. So because okay. awards might not, I was hoping maybe you have heard of one of these journalism pieces and that would have led you to it. But it's fine if you don't. So I'm going to give you the last clue. And the clue is it is relevant uh, to us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's relevant. Oh, the podcasting. It's it's a podcast, basically. It's an Pulitzer for podcasting. The Pulitzer Prize for audio reporting was nice. the category that was announced in December 2019 and was first awarded in 2020. Uh, it is basically awarded to distinguished reporting on a radio program, which again doesn't have to be on the internet, or podcasts, which are okay. traditionally on the internet. Yes. And a bunch of these. I didn't give you the full name, so let me tell you actually. The staff of this American Life was 2020. One of the okay. biggest <laughs> radio radio programs and podcasts. Yeah. 2021, Lisa Hagen and Chris Haxel are of NPR. Again, huge. Ah, okay. Um, 2022 is staffs so of Futuro Media and PRX. I've not really heard this before, but yeah. Neither have I, yeah. 2023 was Gimlet Media, which is also pretty famous. Ah. 
in this space yeah pretty famous yes oh nice nice very nice i was just thinking of a, a fresh new journalism category it didn't even occur to me to think of podcasting which now it seems so obvious that uh, this would be the time to have something like that for that and i cannot recommend it uh, any more than than i'm saying it right now more emphatically than i'm saying right now all of these shows obviously are great because they have also been awarded by a very prestigious uh, whatever award award ceremony but truly truly worth checking out if you're really into investigative journalism uh, i remember re- uh, listening to the out crowd which is the 2021 and it is harrowing it is heartbreaking but it is just beautiful journalism and they they have done it so well for the audio format that you can't help but admire it yeah it's going into my uh, list basically my waiting list of podcasts that uh, the of the numerous podcasts that i've kept uh, that i have to because i keep getting recommendations from you and other people and i you know i've got a got a list okay i have a question for you uh, my last question for this uh, episode we'll finish off with this and then one last one from you so eight actors eight actors have been oscar nominated twice for playing the same role okay you have kate blanchet you have paul newman Al Pacino, Peter O'Toole, Bing Crosby, Sylvester Stallone, Judi Dench and Barry Fitzgerald. Why or how is Barry Fitzgerald unique in this particular list? Sorry, all eight of them have played the same role. Yes, so uh, I'll give you an example. For example, Kate Blanchett has played Queen Elizabeth I in two different movies and she's been Oscar nominated for both. Oh, Al Pacino okay, okay, famously it, played it. Michael Corleone in, in The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two and got nominated for both. So hmm. similarly, there are eight people who've been Oscar nominated twice for playing the same role. I'll go through the list again: Kate Blanchett, Paul Newman, Al Pacino, Peter O'Toole, Bing Crosby, Sylvester Stallone, Judi Dench, and Barry Fitzgerald. Among these eight, Barry Fitzgerald is quite unique. Can you tell me how? and it's in the context of this list not you know as how is barry fitzgerald unique as an actor but in the context of this particular list how is he unique how does he stand out from the other seven as a random guess but was any either of them maybe an animated film and uh, a live action film something no, like that no 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 he he was an actor from the 40s so uh, no unique for playing the same character twice and being oscar nominated both times Oscar nominated twice for playing the same role. Random guess but maybe was once a supporting actor nomination and the second one was a lead actor nomination. Like you're partly right but there's something even more unique which actually led to an entire change in how the Oscars are conducted post this. Oh. Okay. I think you have it. I can see the gotcha face. It was huh? it in the same year, the same movie that he was nominated twice, both in supporting yes, and yes. lead. Yes, so yes. <laughs> so Barry Fitzgerald was nominated for both Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor for the same performance in the same film in the same year. <laughs> Wait, how does that even work? Why, why could they not make up their mind about whether he was a lead actor or supporting actor? You remember, I told you Bing Crosby is on this list, right? So hmm. Bing Crosby is on this list for playing Father O'Malley in two okay. movies. One is The Bells of St Mary's in 1945 and okay. the one before that was Going My Way in 1944. Okay. Barry Fitzgerald 
was also nominated for Going My Way in 1944. So for okay. the awards, you had both uh, Barry Fitzgerald and Bing Crosby nominated for Best Actor. And okay. Barry Fitzgerald was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor. He okay. won Best Supporting Actor and Barry Fitzgerald and uh, Bing Crosby won Best Actor. And after that year, the Academy decided to change their rules so that nobody could be nominated for more than one acting role. <laughs> so they had to be picked. They had to choose between Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's yeah. a great question. Uh, just, a fun, just a fun, uh, you know, we always do this. Uh, so we, I already told you what role Kate Blanchett and Al Pacino played and what Bing Crosby and Barry Fitzgerald played. So there are four other actors on this list. Paul Newman, Peter O'Toole, Sylvester Stallone and Judy Dench. Can you tell me which roles, iconic roles that they played that they were... And in their cases, they've always played it in two separate movies in two different years. Can you tell me which roles they played? Let's start with the easy one. Sylvester Stallone. Rocky, I would imagine. Yes, Rocky Balboa in mm. 1976 for Rocky and for mm-hmm. Creed in 2015. I was just going to say Creed, yeah. Right, makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Judy Dench. Judy Dench, I want to say probably in some Shakespearean character. No, surprisingly not. No. Okay, uh, I'm going to make the same guess for Peter O'Toole. Is it a Shakespearean character for Peter O'Toole? Yes, he's, his actually is a real-life historical character who's appeared in multiple Shakespeare plays. So yes, you okay, could technically okay. say. All right. Uh, but let's talk about Judy Dench first. Judy Dench, not for a Shakespearean character. Wow, which character has she played twice? Has she played uh, the queen? Which queen would be then be the question? I want to say Victoria. And Again, I have no right. context got... this. Oh, No, wow, but you are right. Some... Uh, it... It is Queen Victoria. She played Queen Victoria in Mrs. Brown in 97 and in Victoria and Abdul in 2017. Oh, yes, she has. Yeah, Victoria and Abdul is the movie that I have. Yeah, I didn't even know the previous one. Okay, great. Um, uh, who Peter O'Toole? Peter O'Toole. Peter O'Toole and uh, Paul Newman. Henry V. No, not Henry V. You're, you're, it is a Henry, but not Henry V. Oh yeah, I keep forgetting these Henrys, man. Uh, is, is the sixth, <laughs> the fourth. Okay, this 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 one is this one is uh, Henry. This one is Henry Plantagenet or Henry the Second, father second. of Prince John and uh, Richard the Lionheart. Right. Uh, he won it in 1964 for Beckett, and mm-hmm. in 1968 for The Lion in Winter, which is this amazing movie. Yes, The Lion in right, Winter. Right, right, yes. right. And finally, we have Paul Newman. I'm, I'm, unless you're a really big film buff and a Paul Newman fan, I don't know if you'll be able to get this. But okay, so I'll give, I'll tell you. It is uh, he yeah, played the character of Fast Eddie Felson, okay, in uh, the Hustler in 1967, 1961, and the Color of Money with uh, Tom Cruise in 1986. He reprised the role, where, you know, when playing a Swiss with Tom Cruise. Playing so was it a sequel? Beside sequel, it a kind of spiritual sequel, same character. But it's not like a yeah. sequel, sequel. It's just the characters also appearing in uh, The Color of Money in 1986. Right. Fast cool. Eddie Felsen. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. So uh, let's have your question, the last for uh, this episode for today. All right. That was a great question. I not like going into a question without a segue, so I'm going to try. Uh, this is. <laughs> You're going to force a segue. I am going to force this away and uh, it's going to be painful, but you're going to sit with, through this with me, Vineet. 
when you win an oscar <laughs> of course you have to celebrate and a lot of people like to celebrate by having a drink so the next question has to do with drinking yes. <laughs> <laughs> no that's not too much too far a segue actually the oscar parties are famous for a lot of booze well technically this is not even booze so <laughs> it's just drinking like a drink <laughs> okay again oscar parties are also famous for having a lot of alcoholics so maybe one of them is recovering and not decided to drink anything alcoholic so probably probably yes but it's a lovely actually a lovely gray area between the two and now here comes the question Pharmacist Charles Elmer Hayes was the first to successfully market a commercial brand of X. He developed X in in 1875 and debuted a commercial version at the Philadelphia Sentinel Exposition in 1876 and then he began selling it. Hayes was a teetotaler himself and he wanted to call the beverage why however his desire to market the product to pennsylvania coal miners caused him to call his product x which is how we today know it so identify x and y and here's a little clarification both x and y are technically two words so x is two words and y is two words and the first word of both is the same the second word of both is different so what is x and what is y Okay uh, so x is the name by which we know it now or y is the name by which we know it now x is the name we know it today as y is what he wanted to originally call it okay okay is it jim beam no it's a more generic Not name probably. actually oh and he wanted to market it to coal miners yes you said it was drink otherwise my mind would have gone to soap because coal miners need a lot of soap at the end of their shift true but no okay in this case again i wanted to focus on the fact that he was a teetotaler and he wanted to call the beverage why however his mm. desire to market it to the coal miners of pennsylvania caused him to call it x and just to clarify x is two words y is two words and the first word of both x and y is the same the second word of x and y is what is different uh okay is this like tennessee whiskey and tennessee bourbon no remember why is the name that he wanted to call it and he's a teetotaler himself he's a teetotaler okay no man you'll have to give me some kind of clue here it is traditionally made using parts of the sassafras tree as the primary flavor sassafras tree is the primary flavor teetotaler who made an alcoholic beverage remember i didn't say alcoholic beverage i just said beverage oh wait is this a uh, root beer It is root beer. You're right. Yes, it yes, is root I, beer. Yeah. <laughs> they call uh, is uh, yeah. The, they take it from the root, right? Sarasapilla, something like that. We have something similar in India as, uh, as well. I think we do have uh, something similar. You're right. Yes, it is also known as sarasapilla, and it is used to make a drink of the same name, and that is the primary flavor. Uh, so that is X root beer. Uh, I'm sure you can get Y, okay. but do you want to just take a guess? What is Y? What is it? What he, that he wanted to call it initially? He wanted to call it root juice. <laughs> uh, close, close, but not quite. Okay, this will be something really clever, which I can't think of again. I, no, I can't. I can't. I, I don't know. I don't know what it. I'll what is it? it? Put me out of my misery. It is root tea. Just root tea. Root tea. Uh. Yeah. It doesn't have the same uh, ring to it. <laughs> yeah, I think root beer 
to be fair i think we just used to the idea of root beer now cuz anything else root any other uh, word doesn't make sense root juice sounds disgusting root tea makes you want to throw <laughs> up uh and root syrup also just is something that your grandma would tell you to have and you would <laughs> chuck it away the first uh, instance that you got so none of the words make sense i think root beer is just something we have gotten used to so maybe that's why it doesn't sound as disgusting as the rest and the reason he called it root beer was because he wanted to market it to the coal miners of pennsylvania and uh, yeah, who wanted something be, alcoholic right yeah but, so they were more likely to drink something with the name beer in it even if it was not alcoholic because root beer technically traditionally is non alcoholic uh, yes and a uh, fun fact especially for those i don't know because i, I don't think this is very common outside of south india but uh, sarasapilla syrup is quite common in south india especially in kerala where i from where i'm from here okay. they just call it nannari sarbat or narindi sarbat okay so you'll go uh, throughout kerala on the road side you will find these small shops and small thabas where you have uh, people asking for soda sarbat right mm-hmm. so which is just uh, lemon this uh, the syrup of the sarspala and uh, soda okay or if you don't want soda you can have the same thing with water nice so it's used as a sweetening agent for a lot of now that was that's his humble origins now there are so many different shops with so many different things so we have our own version of root beer but we just call it sarbat at least in kerala it's a completely different meaning when you go up north oh that is cool i did not know that trivia yeah so uh that's all the time we have today for uh, our regular uh, set of questions aditya before we leave we have uh, your question that Uh, we'll put keep our uh, you know listeners waiting with bated breath so what are you going to ask them what fiendishly devilish question will come out of your brain next i am going to ask a very straightforward question since you asked us about actors who have played the same character in two movies and have been oscar nominated for both i'm going to ask you mm-hmm. which actor has been overlooked for playing the same character multiple times and uh okay by the awards by these prestigious awards and that is an answer you shall find out in the next week's episode so we shall before we leave there is the question that i asked at the beginning of the episode about henry irving who was an actor the first actor to be awarded a knighthood his manager was a writer and one of his novels his man the titular character was partly based on the actor henry irving i had asked who his manager was and which character did he base of henry irving Aditya do you have any idea I have no idea no I have absolutely no clue Okay uh shall I give you a clue about the character see if you can guess Sure uh it's a character which has been played by Gary Oldman Leslie Nielsen something like Dracula Yes it is Dracula <laughs> Oh okay Yeah so it was Bram Stoker Bram Stoker, Stoker right? Right, right, right. the author of uh, Dracula was Henry Irving's manager and uh, he partly based the character of Dracula on Henry Irving Nice nice Recently a character also played by Nicolas Cage So yes. movie trailer Oh yes how could I forget yes yes uh in there's a there's a book by Barbara Belfort uh, called Bram Stoker a biography of the author of Dracula and in that she quotes Somewhere in the creative process Dracula became a sinister character caricature of Irving as a mesmerist and depleter an artist draining those about him to feed his ego it was a stunning but avenging tribute 
And with that bombshell, that's all for this episode. Thank you for listening in. We hope you enjoyed the show and learned something new. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing to our podcast and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast platform wherever you're listening to us now. It helps us reach a wider audience and allows more people to discover and enjoy the show. We'd also love to hear from you. Feedback, suggestions, trivia, suggestions for theme episodes also perhaps. You can reach us on Instagram at me. We appreciate your support and look forward to sharing more episodes with you in the future. Aditya will be back after the musical sting with our fact check, our official cover, our asses document. And that's all from me. And have a great day. See you guys next week. And here's the fact check for the episode. The movie The Color of Money is a direct sequel to the movie The Hustler. Nannari Sharbat is made from Indian sarsaparilla, whereas root beer is traditionally made from Mexican sarsaparilla, also known as Jamaican sarsaparilla or Honduran sarsaparilla. Both plants, while related, are two distinct species. And that's all for the fact check.